Women are often told that they shouldn't travel alone. We're warned that it's dangerous and that we need to be careful. Because of the world we live in, one that has been largely shaped by patriarchy, it's true to a degree that we women have to take extra precautions when we travel. But this doesn't mean that we shouldn't travel. And in fact, by traveling, we can challenge the status quo. Today, we're chatting with a woman who is doing exactly that, Juvina Huang. But before we dive in, Katie, what's up? How have you been? I've been pretty good, Erin. How about you? Not bad. I have a TikTok to show you because I'm back again with another TikTok that I really want to pick your brain on. Um, So are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so this one, I should probably credit it. Uh, Her name is So Maddie Smith on TikTok, and I'll just play it and you can react. I went on vacation with my boyfriend recently, and I found out he's really slow in airport security. Sorry, I just got chills. (laughs) I cannot emphasize how efficient I am when I get to airport security. I show up naked. I say, listen, I got nothing to claim. I lube up. I roll through like a Krispy Kreme donut. I look behind me. My boyfriend's taking off his fourth pair of shoes like a Russian doll. He's got a belt. Who the hell is wearing a belt? Been surrounding him. He's like a McDonald's play place. The line behind him is like the Macy's Day Parade. It's so long. People are like, come on, man. Is this your first time traveling? My boyfriend's like, "Uh, uh, uh." he gets to the part where you have to raise your arm. The TSA guy's like, hey, man, you got to take out your laptop. I'm standing there like, I call my gynecologist. I say, listen, make me an appointment to get my tubes tied. I'm not having kids with this man. (laughs) So, Aaron, I thought I would ask you, what is the airport etiquette here? Like, what should we be doing? What should we be wearing? What are your thoughts here? (laughs) Well, I'm going to say that I firmly believe, like, everyone is entitled Mm -hmm, to approach airport security however they like. Uh, Do whatever feels right for you. But I definitely err on the side of trying to make it as easy a process as humanly possible for myself, which like I will also know important to say is pretty easily done because like I am a white and blonde woman. So airport security does not ever flag me. Like at least that's been my experience so far in life. So all things told, it's a pretty like stress-free experience. But when it comes to like making it as easy as possible, I definitely dress it in a way and like pack my things in a way that makes it easier. Cause I do get kind of stressed. Like taking all my things off and putting them in the bins and like I just I always and this is awful but I like read one time about this person who got their like bag switched at airport security like someone walked away with their bag oh and this always freaks me out because you have like your passport I usually have my camera I usually have like my most valuable items in my carry-on And often I only travel with a carry-on, like the bulk of the time I only travel with a carry-on. So my brain is just like, if this bag disappears, I have nothing. But you don't have your carry-on and a fanny pack because the fanny pack is where you're really missing out there because you can carry your EpiPen, your wallet, your passport, your airplane ticket, your phone. Everything goes in the fanny pack, Erin. I do do that. I do bring a little bag. But what if that gets swapped? Because I've also heard of people's stuff getting stolen. Like that happens, which is why I'm like, I have to get through security as fast as possible. So I'm on the other side by the time my things come out of the machine, which is hard to time sometimes. Like in my experience, 
there are airports where you don't have a choice, like because you put your stuff in and then you're waiting to go through the scanner thing. But you're you know? also in a different position than me too because you're hustling through trying to get through as fast as possible because why? Erin loves to show up to the airport about 30 minutes before her plane takes off. <laughs> Meanwhile, Katie shows up about four hours early. I'm just leisurely going through airport security. I should tell you, it's funny you're bringing this up because literally today, I, you know how you can schedule an Uber to yeah. pick you up? We have a flight on Saturday that we have to be at the airport. Well, the flight leaves at 8 a.m. And I scheduled the Uber originally for like 6.30 a.m., thinking that was enough time. And then I eventually realized we would get to the airport at 7.30. <laughs> and I was like, that's half an hour before our flight. That's not enough time. So I almost did it to us again. I almost did it to us again. And I don't know why. <laughs> I just, I had to go in and like fix it. Thankfully, I remembered. But <laughs> So... Before we get into this conversation, last hot tips for people heading back to the airport since the world hopefully looks like it's happening again. What should they be wearing to make this the most efficient process possible? First note on my end, no need to wear a belt. Wear your stretchy pants. I'd say I like pretty much only ever wear leisure clothing. At like leisure. sweatpants, sweater. That's At it. leisure <laughs> was created for airports. Exactly. At 20 years old, Javina found her ticket to freedom when she bought her first scooter. Combining her love for riding and travel, a friend's sudden passing drove her to leave the safety net of a home and a job in Singapore to wander the world on her scooter. Javina rode from Singapore to Europe, covering 44,000 kilometers, 25 countries, all in 27 months. I think my desire to travel came from a trip uh, to Vietnam with my schoolmates. We explored uh, the mountainous area and we also got to know some of the local tribal girls, the Mongols, uh, and getting to know them uh, and how they live and their future life path for them. And I realized that growing up in Singapore, uh, both our life paths are very different. We have very different expectations. Uh, of ourselves uh, and our future, that kind of ignite a, a curiosity about the rest of the world outside my tiny country of Singapore. So I realized that yeah, life can be more than just studying and then having a job, getting married and settling down. So that kind of uh, made me want to go hobo for a few years. I thought, okay, Maybe after graduating, I want to go and travel and explore the world for a few years. But that didn't really happen because one, um, I was afraid. I was just like doing what everybody else is doing and what people expect of me. At the same time, during that Vietnam trip, uh, I remember seeing lots of scooters on the road. And I thought to myself, hey, you know, it seems like a lot of fun and freedom associated with uh, riding a scooter. I mean, if only I can have some time to explore Vietnam on a scooter, that would be really fun. You know, I'll be in control of my trip. Well, that did not materialize because uh, the trip was really pre-planned. Uh, but I told myself when I come back to Singapore, I'm going to get my motorcycle license. 
Uh, and that's what I did. So um, a few months after coming back, I got my motorcycle license in six months. Uh, and on my 20th birthday, I bought myself a secondhand Vespa scooter. Ever since then, that scooter has been my main mode of transport around Singapore. I use it for commuting. Uh, and there's one uh, very interesting friend that I got to know. His name is Lawrence. Just, I remember it was my first few weeks um, studying my college, my part-time college studies, when I received a phone call during my class that Lauren passed away just a few, few weeks before he was about to set off uh, for his own adventure. Uh, and that made me realize really how short and uncertain life can be. So I just gave myself a deadline and try to save up as much as possible, and then I just left. You've said that you find traveling by motorbike super liberating. Could you describe that feeling and explain why you find this mode of travel so liberating? Uh, because in the past, I've ever backpacked uh, with my friend, and we have to rely on public transportations uh, to get uh, from places to places. And sometimes uh, I realize that, hey, actually, this town is very beautiful. I really want to stay one more day. Uh, but my train for the next town has already been booked. Or sometimes, you know, when I'm in the bus or in the train, and we pass by a town, I was feel like, hey, this town looks very interesting. I wish I can stop. So when you have all your accommodations sorted out or you are taking public transportation, uh, your mobility is in the control of you know, the bus driver or the schedule. But when you are traveling on your own transportation, be it a motorcycle, you get to start and stop uh, whenever and wherever you want. Yeah, if you want to wake up late, you want to leave at 12 noon, go ahead. You want to leave early in the morning, go ahead. You are in control of your own movement. You know, when you're riding a motorcycle versus like being in a car, you are very much part of a landscape. So when it is snowing, you feel it. When it's storm and rain, you feel everything. So you're not just seeing the landscape from a screen like a television. You feel like you're part of the surrounding. But of course, it can be very uncomfortable when, it's, uh, when the weather is very harsh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done any long distance motorbike trips myself, but when my partner and I traveled, um, especially around Vietnam, Thailand, Laos, India, we always rented motorbikes just for a few days at a time. And we found the same thing. We just loved having the freedom to wake up and think like, oh, we can go wherever we want today. There's no schedule. It's just totally up to us and we can stop wherever we want. We can talk to whoever we want. It's just, it's so nice compared to having to stick to like the schedule of the bus or the taxi driver, or whoever it is that's getting you from point A to point B. That's probably the thing about traveling by motorbike. Like you get to go to places that are a little less on the tourist map. And I have found in my own travels that when you go beyond like the really touristy areas, people aren't as used to seeing tourists. So they're more interested in interacting with you. And I find like you just have more moments where you get to talk with local people and they'll show you lots of hospitality. And it's just so nice. And that's something that I guess you can really do when you're traveling by motorbike and just following your own path. 
Yeah, so I mean, I I've been to uh, places that is a that are pop popular tourist attraction, and I've also taken the off beaten tracks to some unexplored villages. So usually in tourist uh, places of uh tourist attraction, I think if you are a traveler there or tourist there, you are maybe seen more like an avenue for to make money. But well, in other places when people interact with you, it's really they genuinely want to know you. They're curious about you. They just want to befriend you. The interaction is a bit different. Yeah, totally. So I know that I have like absolutely no clue how to do repairs on a motorbike. So I think long distance driving on a motorbike would be a bit dangerous for me because I don't know what I would do if it's like something broke or I needed to make a repair. So I'm wondering like how you got around that. Did you just learn and develop the skills to make fixes on your bike yourself? Or have you found ways to like get help if ever you break down or something breaks and you need a hand fixing something? Well, actually it's a mixture of everything. I left Singapore a mechanical idiot. I, I don't really know how to Repair my scooter other than changing the tires. Okay, at least I know how to change the tires. That's good. That's better than me. <laughs> yeah. But I learned along the way. After visits to mechanic, well, some mechanics are very nice. They allow me to stay and observe. So I, I learned along the way. And sometimes when I have trouble, I go out to scootering forums and YouTube. I think YouTube is a very great resource for learning how to fix stuff. I think experience can be the, re- the the best teacher. Even though I've been riding the scooter for, I think, seven years in Singapore before setting on, out on the trip. But during the seven years, I realized I was very reliant on visiting the mechanics. While traveling, I learned to rely less on mechanics because it is very important to know what's going on in your engine. And because you, you can go to the mechanic to help you fix the problem right now, but you don't know on the site what, what did they do to fix the problem. And if you go on to the next uh, mechanic in another town, in another country, they don't know the history. Well, if you don't know the mechanical you know, details or, or knowledge, but at least know what is being done in your vehicle by the mechanic before. So I think you should, be, I think one thing I've learned is I should, insists on staying to observe rather than to just uh, let the mechanic do the job and, and then that's it, you know, I just go and do my thing. So, because, you know, if the pro- it's like some problem arises, at least I know the history of it. Yeah, that makes total sense. And that like leads me into my next question because I think it's so easy to glamorize lifestyles um, like what you've lived. Um, it seems like such a magical way to live, but I'm sure there are plenty of challenges that also come with traveling across a continent alone by bike. So what kinds of challenges have you encountered? And is there a story about one specifically that you could share? Okay, so when it comes to traveling uh, long term, uh, and across many countries, there are bound to be a lot of disruption and changes because whatever you have uh, learned and researched right now, it may change uh, weeks or even months down the line. You may be like planning so much to, to go to this place, to do this and that, and then after that, you know, something happens. You're not able to do it because you know, something happened in that country. Um, so we have to be very... Uh, adaptable and flexible 
when it comes to long-term travel. And actually, one of such incidents was actually even before I set off for my trip while preparing the documentation for my vehicle. So for, for some countries, if you want to enter it with your own vehicle, you need this document called carnet de passage. And this document requires uh, a deposit to be left uh, in the association that issues this document. Normally, it's the automobile uh, association. So when I first did my research, I know the, the deposit amount is based on the vehicle value. So I thought, okay, going on a cheap scooter, I would not have to place uh, such a huge uh, deposit. Just before I left, I, I think uh, I realized that actually the, the rule has already changed. The deposit amount has changed to be based on the engine capacity. So regardless, you are going on a big or small motorcycle, as long as it is uh, below 400cc in the engine capacity, you have to place a deposit of at least $5,000, Singapore dollars. And if you are traveling to certain countries, like for example, India, Iran, Pakistan, you have to double that amount. So I had to place a 10,000 Singapore dollar deposit even before I leave for my trip. And that's, I think, around USD $7,000. There's a huge chunk of my, my travel funds. <laughs> and I tried to appeal, but uh, well, they didn't get back to me. And I just, okay, I can either you know, delay my trip or I can just say, okay, just go and figure something out along the way. So that's what I did because I didn't really want to wait. Um, I think because I have time, I think with time I can solve issues. So I think for such a trip like that, you cannot be 100% prepared for every situation. Although yes, you try to plan for everything but you cannot be 100% uh, prepared because things are always changing and uncertain. What you have to learn how to do is to tackle each problem as they come. During the trip, yes, I, I faced like scooter problems, breakdowns. But yeah, I learned to, to take each issue as it, as it comes rather than you know, being so worried about that. But I think after going through so many of these incidents, like scooter having problems and all, each time I always manage to get it fixed and continue. So when it happened again, you know, I was able to compose myself much better and try to think of the next step. So I realized that, oh, okay, actually, you know, all those anxieties, uh, they don't really help me so much. I think that journey has kind of like trained me or helped me to be a less anxious person because I realized that a lot of things is we cannot control it but we can control uh, how we respond to it. And that can actually shape our experiences very much. I can totally relate to that. I feel like that's something I've sort of learned in my own travels, just that things are going to go wrong and there's nothing you can really do to stop that. What you can do is learn how to react in a way that um, is productive and like gets you past it and through it. I've learned to be better at that as I've traveled more. And I've found like, especially in recent years, whenever I like a mishap happens, I'm much better at just like working through it and finding a solution and staying calm. Whereas like when I was younger, I would probably just have a, a total breakdown and <laughs> yeah. <be> crying, <laughs> sad, upset. And now I'm at the point where it's like, I'm not going to let this ruin my trip. I'm just going to keep moving. <laughs> 
Katie, do you know what you would absolutely need if you went motorbiking across the world? Travel insurance. Yep, and you'd need really good travel insurance because things can definitely go wrong on the road. But travel insurance isn't just for adventurous activities like motorbiking. It's a must for whenever you travel, whether you're exploring at home or abroad. And that's why I always get World Nomads insurance. World Nomads has simple and flexible insurance policies that cover travelers from over 100 countries with medical and evacuation coverage, 24-7 emergency assistance, and coverage for a huge range of adventurous activities. So if anything goes wrong on your travels, World Nomads will be there to provide the emergency assistance you need so you can carry on with your trip. Benefits limit, conditions and exclusions apply. Be sure to read your policy wording. Learn more and get your travel insurance quote at worldnomads.com. The link is in our show notes. So I know I myself have been told that I shouldn't go somewhere alone because I'm a woman. And I know a lot of solo women travelers have been told this as well, or some variation of this. And I'm curious if this is something that you were told as you started your trip from Singapore to Europe, where people nervous for you traveling because you were a woman? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, well, a lot of my friends and family members, they will, they, they give the advice, you know, they advise me not to go. It is out of concern. It comes from a good place. But sometimes this can be also stemmed from fears and because they don't know about all these countries. I mean, we, are, we all have, you know, the, the natural tendency to, to fear of things that we don't know. But on the other hand, when I speak to people who have done this before, they were very encouraging. And because they have experienced it, they know what the best advice to give. And that trip that they embarked on has certainly, I think, shaped them positively. So that's why they encouraged me to go. This is my favorite quote. <laughs> before setting out on a journey, uh, do not seek advice from those who never left home. Yeah, just like for anything that you want to do, that you want to pursue, like if you want to learn how to ride a bicycle, would you approach um, someone who has never ridden a bicycle before? Or would you approach someone who has ridden a bicycle before? Uh, yeah, that, that goes the same for, for solo travel. Yeah, absolutely. And like... I relate to that so much because I know, especially when I, and now I travel mostly with my boyfriend, but I used to travel by myself all the time. And I knew that I was safe because I knew so many other women who were doing the same thing. And I would talk to other women who were traveling and we would share our knowledge with each other and encourage each other. And it was just like known amongst those people that it was safe, but all the people who would warn me not to do it were the people who hadn't done it themselves. And so that's such a good point because it's like, why would you listen to the advice of someone who hasn't actually experienced it themselves? It's coming from a good place, like you say, but it's also like, isn't it better to trust people who've had that experience themselves? Yeah. So tying this into the motorbike community, I think a lot of people might consider motorbikes to be a sort of masculine hobby. Um, you hear a lot about like men who ride motorbikes, but it's less common to hear about women. And I'm curious to hear like if people react um, to the fact that you're a woman riding a motorbike in the community, but also in your travels, um, what kind of responses have you found? 
I've been to, to some countries where women riding a motorcycle is like unusual or stick, even stigmatized or even illegal. Like for example, in Iran, well, it is a very gray area. Iranian women, they do not have access uh, to getting a motorcycle license. And that's why you don't see them riding motorcycles in Iran. But I know of Iranian women who try to circumvent around this situation uh, by going overseas to get a motorcycle license and then ride in their country. So let's say if they are stopped, you know, to say, hey, you, you are not allowed to ride. Say, why? I have the motorcycle license. Uh, I, I learned how to ride. And, uh, you know, I have a license. They are not from, from Iran, but from other countries. The reaction can be sometimes uh, very encouraging. I remember when I was riding in I Iran and this woman who was driving a car, when she realized that I, I, I'm a woman and she was like getting so close to me and she gave me a horn and it's like, hey, thumbs up. Hey, great. That's so nice. So like you're inspiring other people for sure. You're inspiring me. Like I honestly don't, it's never something I even consider doing. I think because I it's scary, but knowing that you've gone out there and you've traveled so far by motorbike makes me realize like, okay, I could do it. If I, if I really just want to do it, I should just go out and do it because I can. Yeah. You know, after some interaction with women who has gone on to accomplish things. So when I was in Pakistan, staying in that town called Aptabad, I was staying with this family and um, there was a young daughter. At that time, she was uh, still a student. She was studying. And when she knew that uh, I was in her place, she was like really excited. So she was studying in another city uh, and she came back and uh, uh, met me. So a few years down the road, she went on to study in uh, a global school. So in that school, she has to complete her curriculum in uh, different uh, parts of the world. And for a young Pakistani girl to be traveling alone uh, in a different country, it is very rare uh, because even going out in the streets, you don't really see women in the public spaces. Um, and I remember during one of her birthday, uh, I commented, I say, hey, Isa, uh, I'm so proud of the young and independent woman you have uh, become. Uh, and happy birthday. And she replied something that I realized, wow, my motorcycle trip is more than just a motorcycle trip. Um, she said, Juvina, you are the first woman I met who is truly a free bird. You have shaped my journey very much. I was like, wow. I didn't know what I was doing is um, impacting young women elsewhere. You know, letting know that they can be more than what they are taught. They can be anything they want and they shouldn't let their gender stop them. So I guess, yes, you know, riding a motorcycle is really a, an embodiment of freedom, of power and independence. And when you have that freedom, it brings back your dignity. This meant more than just an adventure. Absolutely. And I think like, I mean, studies show that like when you see women doing things that you've maybe not seen many women do, it's, it can really tell you that that is possible. Like it helps to see things modeled um, for women to feel like that's actually a possibility for them. 
I really want to normalize all these things. Like for example, riding a motorcycle. I I just hope you know in a fair and equal world, riding a motorcycle it shouldn't be a novelty. It should be something that can be enjoyed by by, by both gender. But in order to reach that stage, women should also step up to do it themselves and to reclaim what is their right to do certain things. Even like solo female travel, I, I think it should be normalized. If we don't go out to travel, we will just remain in the status quo that the world is not meant for women to be out there alone. Yeah, totally yeah. agree. So I watched an interview with you in which you said that one of the things you've learned from your travels is that most people in the world are good. That you realize that we shouldn't let the politics of a nation shape the way that we think about its people. Could you share how you came to this realization and maybe give an example of how you saw this at work in your own travels? I think for many of us, uh, our perception of the outside world is very much shaped by what we hear or what we read on the media. And I came to, when after traveling to all these countries, I realized that media only show one side of the story and actually there are multiple facets to a country and many of them are not shown. And because news like uh, you know, rape, murder, kidnap, all this tragedy, they sell papers because humans, we are drawn to all these negative, fear, uh, ne- negative news. We are drawn to these negative news because fear is a protective m- mechanism. Right? We want to know what are the bad things that can happen um, so that we can protect ourselves. But I feel that sometimes this fear can be very self-limiting. Uh, it stops us from accomplishing so much more. When I travel, I realize that, hey, actually, you know, most of the people in the world are just like you and me. They are just normal people. They have their families. Um, they have their jobs. They just want to get on with life without causing any trouble to anybody else or themselves. Or sometimes they even go beyond you know, to, to help me, like to go all the way to like paying my meals without my knowledge. Or you know, when I'm down with a punctured tire by the roadside, people uh, pull over to stop me to see if I need any help. So all these things, they are not shown on the news. I feel that especially with the privilege of traveling, I, I want to share all this. I think the way to tolerance and understanding in, in the world is by connections, by really real connections. And being able to travel, I was able to connect with people on a very intimate level. After doing this trip for two years, I have uh, rediscovered very much of, uh, I have re- rediscovered humanity that I thought that was lost. Yeah, you're making mm-hmm. me think of an episode we did now, I think two seasons ago with um, uh, the women who run No White Saviors, which is on Instagram. And I always think about this thing that they said to us about how important it is when you travel to look for the good and focus on the good in a country. Because, you know, some people will travel and they'll just hold on to like negative moments, but 
but yeah, there's so much good in the world and you just have to like be willing to look for it and be open to it and focus on that when you travel. And when I think about my own travels, like those are the memories that I hold. Like, of course there are difficult moments, but for the most part, my travels have just been like all these beautiful moments with people that I've met along the way. And it's just a, a great reminder of like how wonderful the world is and how most people really are just good people. Yes, but unfortunately, our news, our media doesn't show enough of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I agree. And I know you believe that travel helps to foster cross-cultural understanding, um, which I totally agree with. I think this is probably one of the greatest things that we can take away from travel. So in your experience, how does travel do this? I think you get to know uh, people on a very personal level. And you realize that, you know, they are not so much different from you. Although, yes, like culture, maybe mm, they have different expectations and all, but all of us still want the same thing. We want to be safe, good relationship with other people, because we want to be, we want to survive, we want to be fed, we want, I would say, to be useful to the society. I think that's all what we want. Yeah. And I have to say, like, personally, too, when it comes to cross-cultural understanding, I've always found that I can read about a place, I can, like, read blogs, read books, watch movies, just do all sorts of, like, research about a place, but it doesn't really click until you actually go there and actually, like, experience the culture and learn it firsthand that I really come to, like, understand it really I just find like reading about a place, it's just not the same. But but I also have to say that um, no two travelers' uh, experience are the same. There's so many things that can affect your experience, like your age, your gender, your nationality when it comes to dealing with uh, border crossing formalities or even like how you look. So I, I remember many people writing about Iran being very, very friendly. Uh, like, oh, they were like invited to homes, which I agree. But I also witnessed the other spectrum of the society, which is uh, discrimination. Uh, because I'm of uh, East Asian origin, and I look like the Hazara people from Afghanistan. And many of these Hazara people, they came over to Iran to seek refuge because of the civil war happening in their country. And in Iran, they do face discrimination. So uh, when I'm in my motorcycle get up, you know, with my helmet, jacket, so it is a tourist signifier. So people can, can tell that I'm not from this place. And uh, people will be like super friendly to me. They'll welcome me, give me food, uh, invite me to their place. But when I wore the shower kamis that I got from Pakistan and then wearing a head scarf, I, I really look like a local. So I look like someone from the Hazara ethnicity. And the treatment can be a bit different. So I remember there was one incident I was uh, trying to extend my visa in Iran. So uh, because I'm on a tourist visa, so I have to go to the counter seven, which is uh, for extending tourist visa. So I was queuing, you know, waiting and halfway through, uh, I was pulled out of that queue and made to go to counter two. Okay, I was like, okay. Um, so I killed at counter two. And then I realized behind me and before me, 
there were all these uh, women and men who kind of look like me, you know, of uh, like East, with East Asian feature, but in their hands, they are holding an Afghanistan passport. So when it was my turn at the counter, I showed them my red Singapore passport. I say, uh, oh, tourist visa. And I realized, then they realized that, okay, I was in the wrong queue. That queue was for uh, extending asylum seeker uh, visa. So I had to be drawn back to queue number seven again. Now, yeah, just because of how I, I look, uh, I face a very different uh, treatment. And also, um, when, I we when I'm wearing my like, traditional dress and walking down the street, I normally don't get people coming up to me to say hello and welcome to Iran and striking up a uh, conversation in English. Uh, but when I was with my Croatian and German friend who has uh, blonde hair, uh, blue eyes, clearly looking like a foreigner, I realized that, hey, a lot of people were like approaching them to say hello. I think this, this, this experience taught me to be, uh, taught me to listen to people and, and not to dismiss their experiences because their reality and your reality can be very different. Uh, just on a very simple basis, it can be your gender, it can be because of how you look. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, I've experienced that even just like in traveling with my partner, like he's a man. And for example, when we were in India, his sense of safety was very different than mine because he drew way less attention. Like I would draw so much attention. People would constantly come and talk to me and he could walk down a street and just be totally left alone. And it was just because of my gender. It was simply that. So even just traveling with him, like it's interesting when we travel together to compare like how our experiences are different from each other. So to wrap up, I wanted to ask if you have any advice um, for solo women travelers who are thinking about taking on an adventure like yours. I think, okay, like one of the advice uh, that I think we've, we spoke about just now, get advice from those with the experiences who have done solo travel before. And I think if going to like a very far-flung places is very intimidating, I think we can take small steps. Maybe we can start traveling to somewhere near your 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 country first. Uh, maybe in places whereby you know, if you feel like okay, I don't want to continue any anymore, you still can come back very easily. You're still within reach uh, of your family members, so you can try that first. Well, and then you can slowly expand. Uh, your circle travel further and further. So that, that is how you slowly pick up the confidence. Okay, do it something that you think is manageable for you first and then you slowly try to go further and further. Baby steps. Just carefully yeah, take steps. little baby steps into it. I love that advice. Well, thank you, Javina. It's been so nice talking to you and learning about your experiences and all the advice you have to share. Where can people find you if they'd like to follow along on your motorcycle adventures? I'm on my Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Um, so you can find me at uh, Wandering Wasp. Alpaca My Bags is written and hosted by me, Erin Hines, and produced by Katie Lohr. Do you want to support this podcast? If so, there are a few ways that you can. You can leave a review on your podcast app or show us your love on Patreon. Pledging $5 a month or more directly supports the making of this show. The link to our Patreon is in the show notes. That's all for now, Alpaca Pals. I'll talk to you again in two weeks, and I hope you all get to alpaca your bag safely and soon. Bye.